Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. This week's episode, we sit down with good friend and local legend, Chris Livatino. Chris has been the athletic director at Evanston Township High School, just north of Chicago, which is one of the most prestigious schools in the nation, both athletically and academically. Chris had a successful career as a volleyball player, both in high school and in college, before coaching the Wild Kids for 13 seasons. When he was at Evanston as a volleyball coach, uh, he accumulated the most wins in boys' volleyball history, which included a place on the podium uh, at State in 2000. Chris is also the brains behind uh, one of our favorite nonprofits in the Chicago area, Girls Play Sports, which does a lot of really good work decreasing the stigmas and the barriers between females participating in athletics. We get into that and more in this week's episode of the Good Athlete Podcast. Can you do us a favor? We've given you a bio already, but um, can you give us a little of your most recent experience at Evanston High School? So... Uh, most recently, uh, or my history at Evanston High School, uh, is I've been the athletic director there for the past 12 years, and uh, uh, prior to that, I coached boys and girls volleyball for 10 years. Um, and I was born and raised an Evanstonian, uh, went to ETHS, uh, couldn't leave the orange and blue, so I had to go to Illinois, and then nice. I came right back to Evanston and started coaching volleyball there right after uh, I graduated from college. I didn't realize the volleyball connection. Were you a volleyball player as well? Yeah, yeah. I started off playing volleyball in high school uh, yeah. as a freshman. Uh, before I even realized it was a sport, I just wanted to do something in the spring. Mm-hmm. And it's the story I tell all of our eighth grade classes: is you got to keep an open mind to trying something new and different. And uh, I always thought of myself as a basketball player, and mm-hmm. that dream ended quickly the next year when I got cut sophomore year. <laughs> so luckily, I uh, had given myself up to trying something different with volleyball. Mm-hmm. And I played volleyball all four years and sort of took that identity um, because back then that was cooler mm-hmm. than being a volleyball player. Sure. Um, but uh, but I ended up playing volleyball in college at University of Illinois as a oh, club. Nice. Uh, and that was, that was uh, instrumental in my life because I ended up uh, serving as the president my senior year. And that, I think, is really sort of the backdrop to how I got into this crazy business of athletic administration is the experience sure. that I had that year in, in uh, college. That, that might be interesting. So what did that look like, um, the president of the club volleyball at Illinois? What did that look like day-to-day kind of? So, Because I agree. I think the, the, those early experiences, getting leadership opportunities through sports, are the thing that usually take people down their career. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, so my, my, my three years at Illinois prior to my senior year, you know, the first two years I was on the second or third team in the club and just, just playing the sport. And then my junior year, I finally made the, the top team, and uh, and I could see kind of what the guys in charge were doing. Um, and it was all maintenance stuff, no disrespect to them. We're, we're there for college, and, right. and the idea is not to focus your entire efforts on running a, a volleyball club, but right. but I had different uh, uh, imaginations for, for that role. And then next year when I was president, you know, I looked at it like, let's, let's make men's volleyball a varsity sport mm-hmm. in our minds and in the hearts of uh, the other Illinois students. So we went around and sold sponsorships. Um, we got media partners. Um, we uh, sold tickets to our games, which had never been done before, wow. and just tried to turn it in almost not into a business, but into, a, like I said, a varsity sport. And we were successful at it, and it was really cool. It was very empowering. and. Uh, 
and that experience led to my opportunity to, to get uh, the job of being the president of the Midwest Volleyball Professionals, which sounds intense. really, really cool. Yeah. You know, and I remember totally. when the guy offered me the job because we did a, a sports marketing promotion for him down in Champaign. And then, uh, you know, the reality of jobs like that is I was the only person in the right. business. Right. And I was getting paid $300 for two weeks. Uh, and uh, my first two checks bounced. And but it was, the, I did it for two years and it was the greatest experience in my really? life. I would never trade that experience for anything in the world. Um, I got my butt kicked day in and day out and uh, learned how to do everything from, you know, cleaning up the office to running a beach volleyball tournament to dealing with horrible personalities to managing a database to, to you name it. And, right. and it was invaluable. Um, and it all really, again, started with that, that experience as the president of the Illinois Men's Volleyball Club. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, <clears throat> I'll forever be grateful for, for the different opportunities that popped up and, and you never know why or how they're happening or if you should do them, but every time you give those things a chance, great stuff happens. For sure. I think, it, no, I totally agree. And we love turning those opportunities into things just like that. Uh, one thing that you brought up, a uh, term that you brought up, <clears throat> you had different imaginations for the club. I like that. And you could also call that vision, mm -hmm. right? And I think a lot of people learn sort of the nuts and bolts of how operations progress, you know, with those experiences, especially in undergrad. Uh, but not everyone says, I like what I see, but how do I get it to the next level? Right. Where, where do we go from here? How did that specifically translate into your work at Evanston? Because if people don't know, Evanston is... Um, one of the elite high schools athletically and, and in pretty much most ways. Is that fair to say? Yeah, no, that, I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're regarded as one of the top academic institutions, you know, Illinois and throughout for the sure. country. And, and we try to do the best we can to develop a really strong athletic program. Mm -hmm. uh, and our fine arts department is just incredible, mm -hmm. winning Grammy Awards. And, and so, so we're, we're really proud of, you know, Evanston Township High School yeah. from all facets, definitely. For sure. When you first took over, you mentioned you started as a volleyball coach, mm -hmm. turned into the role you have now. When, um, did you have different imaginings from your time as a player, time as a coach, to your time in the lead? So, you know, I'll first say that it was never my goal, desire, dream, uh, ambition to be an athletic director right, in high school. Yeah. In fact, I wanted to be as far away from education as I could mm -hmm. because everybody in my family was in education. My mom, my dad, my brother, my uncles, aunts, everybody was in education. And so my goal, my dream after that Illinois experience was I want to be in sports marketing. Mm -hmm. I want to be a big shot in the sports world. And so I saw that presidency. I was, I was lured in by this title of president and luckily saved by the value of everything else that I learned um, right. through that experience. Um, so my, my goal wasn't at all to be a high school administrator. It was to to be an athletic, um, excuse me, in sports marketing, sports management, and uh, again, thanks to the different, you know, quirky paths and openings that, that happened, I ended up in this role. But uh, but that's a you know it's an interesting road, um, and I, I would say that, uh, that again, going back to what I said before, everything happens for a reason, and when there's an opportunity and opening you take advantage of that and, and great things happen. So that's sort of, there was a string of those events that, that sort of got me to where I am today. I think it's amazing. I like that you've uh, identified so much of sports 
I mean, those aren't independent anymore. Education, marketing, all these things, right. even social media. These are components of the human experience, the student experience, right? Uh, we were just talking about the momentum uh, of certain local football programs, right? I mean, that's marketing, mm -hmm. right? That's, that's, I, that's meeting people in their space, identifying what they're interested in and, and marketing to that. So it's, it's somehow what you're doing is combining your passion for um, all these things, being on the front, having experience on the front, both as a player and as a coach, understanding relationships with, with athletes and what motivates them, the business of it, obviously, mm -hmm. the, the humility and willingness to, at one point in your career, have literally like sweeping up the room, you know, every little component of it, uh, add, you know, the marketing, uh, and now you've got potentially the ingredients at least to do a job. Now, I'm not sure everyone could do it at the scale that you're doing it, doing it at, that takes another, um, sort of level. Well, you know, yeah. I, I would say the um, the jack of all trades, master of none, mm -hmm. is definitely a brand that, that uh, signifies and, and that, um, you know, symbolizes me. And it really, again, it started from that job right out of uh, college because I had it, you just have to do everything. Mm -hmm. And, and <clears throat> I sometimes marvel at the world of college athletics. And we have, you know, one of the very best uh, athletic directors in the country, and Jim Phillips, you know, in our backyard mm -hmm. at Evanston High School with Northwestern. And it's been incredible to watch all the things that he's been able to do at Was Northwestern. Was he a high school guy? No, oh, no, no, but I, I've just been lucky backyard. enough to have a couple right. different conversations with him over sure. the years. And, and we go to, you know, all the basketball, football games there and, mm -hmm. and just get to watch him work and, and sort of, you know, try to model some of the stuff we do after him. But, you know, what, what, what is incredible is the, the vastness of that organization. I right. think there's something like 250 staff that run an athletic department. And so you get to, to really specialize and hone right. in on one particular thing. And, that, and the life and job of an athletic director in high school is completely different. Right. And now you've got to try to, to wear so many different hats from the marketing side of things to the management piece with coaches um, to just the basic fundamentals of getting people to their practice locations and to games. And, mm -hmm. and then, you know, all that maintenance that goes into it um, quite honestly, is, is sort of the backbone of every great athletic director. Right. And it's probably my biggest weakness. It's, it's the thing that I enjoy the least about my job mm -hmm. because I've never enjoyed the maintenance part. I've loved the, um, the growth and the change and the, the, the vision or the imagination mm -hmm. of trying to create new programs that can really take you to the next level. And so I often find myself um, sort of in turmoil about the time I'm committing to right. the maintenance part, which is, is the most important, mm -hmm. to the piece that I love the most, which is you know new programs and new ideas and, and change. That's so important. I think uh, you, I, I'm assuming you do, I know we do have really good structure behind the scenes. You have limited cognitive space, right? There's only, almost so much, there's only so much gas in the gas tank, meaning <laughs> if you are, you know, if you're the one that's uh, you know uh, making copies of this and booking the I mean I don't know how many uh, time slots and geographical locations have to be booked for an athletic department this size if you're if all of your cognitive attention is focused on that then the vision suffers there's only so there's only so much you can do so um, I know I assume it is here I assume that's a big part of yeah no we are we are very blessed to have uh, a great front office if you will um, Clorinda Harbison. Uh, is our athletic specialist and she makes sure all the bookkeeping 
uh, is, is managed throughout the year and she takes care of all the little details and behind the scenes stuff that make us look good. Yeah. Um, and she's just incredible at her job. And then, uh, uh, Mike Brzawa really mm-hmm. is is one of the the key key elements to our athletic department. As our assistant athletic director, he's also our head football coach, right. and he manages all the facility scheduling, um, all the contest schedules, all the rentals, which in this right. business now is has grown unbelievably. Rent. Yeah. Um, Will you explain that for a second? People so so you know we rent out our facility to to outside groups uh, to you know um, local youth sports programs, but then also, you know, just last week we had the Chicago Cubs camp here, and before that we had the Javi Baez camp, and cool. you name it, you know, we're constantly being approached to rent our facility, and and probably uh, a dozen years or so ago, we, we just said, uh, we didn't allow anybody else to use Evanston. But, you know, our facilities have gotten so much better, right. and that was a turf field, grass, right? Right. yeah, once we got a turf field, we realized, you know, we can't hoard this, especially for the community, the programs right. in our community that really need space. And so we created a whole rental policy. Um, and and Coach Buzz has been the guy that's overseen and implemented that, and he's done a phenomenal job of getting as many groups in as we possibly can. But that's all on top of the old job description that was right. just you know scheduling, scheduling, scheduling for contests and practices and. Um, and on top of that, he's also in charge of all of our academic interventions and support programs. So uh, he wears a couple different hats as well. And, and without him and Clorinda, and then Pat Edwards is our administrative assistant who um, manages all the transportation um, and is sort of the direct coach liaison for our office. And, and she makes sure that those, those daily events don't, don't get screwed up and, and things keep smoothly and so in theory when all those three elements are, are working you know at their best it does afford me the opportunity to step back and 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 have a vision and and, and try to create new programs and do new things but right. but also in this role you also are are the uh the firemen you know and you're putting right. out oh, totally. constant fires and dealing with issues you know everything from facility problems to disgruntled parents to uh, you know coaches with questions and and so those are sort of that's sort of the, the noise that distracts you from trying to ultimately do the the work that helps move the needle in the right direction for a program to get better and better and, sure. and you just have to learn how to sometimes put blinders on and, and just kind of plow through some of that stuff and sometimes you just got to work till like two three in the morning I know when you can get stuff done and and, uh, and you know it's it's interesting trying to juggle it all but it's, it's right. I love it that, that, that part, I won't, we won't linger there too long. We talk a lot about sleep, and there's a lot of research out there. Sherry Ma, um, she's out in California, talks a lot about uh, athletic performance with, with or without sleep, you know, sleep deprivation versus, um, I think her study took about 30 basketball players, something like that, and just made sure they got at least 10 hours of sleep and that they were selfish with their sleep, meaning if they could take a nap, get it. I mean, like, uh, percentages went up, like performance just straight up improved with it I think one of one of the ideas though is like that's the ideal right um, a lot is based on Olympic caliber athletes right. and things like that we can't do that one of the things that we tell our guys is um, get it as much as you can mm-hmm. because it's super important mm-hmm. important and it affects our implementation when mm-hmm. we interact with people but be willing to do that mm-hmm. be willing to do that but but structure your life so you don't have to do that as you know if, if whenever possible um, you mentioned I, I got to pull on this too. So you do you are super creative and you do have vision. 
you were at Evanston for how long before you decided that there was another opportunity there? So I started off just coaching volleyball. Just mm -hmm. I coach boys volleyball. I, you know, if you want to be a, a coach, you, you've got to volunteer. I believe always that first year. For sure. So and that's exactly how it worked for me. There was not a paid position. I had to volunteer that first year, mm -hmm. sort of earn your stripes. And the next year, a spot opened up as an assistant. Um, and then ultimately, I ended up getting the head job uh, at age 24 for the boys volleyball program, which which everything sort of you know opened. It, it was just a great opportunity uh, sure. at that age. But all that while, I was still doing this job with the Midwest Volleyball Professionals mm -hmm. and sort of bucking the idea of being a teacher. Mm -hmm. And um, and then when some interesting things happened with that position, I ended up getting another opportunity to start a sports marketing company with a father of a, a football player that I coached at our at a middle school in Evanston. Yeah. And uh, he had just sold his advertising agency and was looking for the opportunity um, to start a sports marketing group. He brought me in to create their database. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't realize is he was actually just testing me hmm. to see what kind of worker I was, what kind of person I was outside of being a coach. And so after basically quoting him, the, you know, one price and amount of hours for the job, I, it took me twice as long to do it. Um, and I and he could see that I worked my tail off to get it done, and I yeah. didn't try to quibble on the, the price. And long story short, he he offered me a one third partnership in this company. Wow! After doing this little simple job, because he kind of wanted to see could this be the guy that would be the day to day business manager of this this new venture. Yeah. And so that took me in a totally direction for the next six years, where I did get to start a sports marketing company, and and it was sort of the time of my life. I, I really enjoyed trying to grow that business and. Um, all the while, again, though, just to tie it back to your question, mm -hmm. is I was coaching at, at Evanston, mm -hmm. and I was the boys' volleyball coach, and we had a lot of good success, and it was it was awesome, too. Um, and then one day, the, the girls' volleyball job opened up, and I had never coached girls, and I wasn't sure I was interested in the position. Mm -hmm. um, but again, fortunately, I, had, I opened my mind to that opportunity. I got the job, and once I got the job, I realized something in the interview process was I loved coaching kids and coaching kids is teaching kids mm -hmm. and this thing that I'd always sort of been avoiding which was teaching it just sort of smacked me upside the face and said why are you doing all these other things by day and then racing over to here to do you know the thing you love the most which is coach your your student athletes and so I decided to to walk away from that other opportunity and pursued uh my teaching certification at North Park University and did that for a year and a half. And uh, then I, I got uh, lucky enough uh, to teach history at Evanston nice. uh, just a couple of years later. And uh, that's what sort of brought me back into education was this realization that all the time I was spending with my volleyball players, you know, was, was my favorite part of the day. Mm -hmm. And education and coaching are completely linked to your point. And uh, so that's that's what got me back to the, the high school full time. Absolutely, I'm, it's really good to hear you say that because that is the point, a kind of, of what mm -hmm. we do is really shining a light on that fact. Uh, coaching, if one were to coach basketball or volleyball and only be delivering skills, mm. then a massive opportunity has been lost. Right? So recognizing it as a teaching opportunity is huge. Um, okay, I'm just gonna go right there to the. You, you mentioned you went to girls sports, uh, you went to girls volleyball. Uh, can you give us a quick look at what you think, what your numbers were, what the split percentage-wise, male-female was, approximately, when you, when this idea kind of occurred to you from, oh. 
and and then I guess also then how that compares like is that the norm is that nationally the case or locally right so yeah my experience coaching girls volleyball there I think was another light changer for me um, to just to understand that you know people always there's a lot of articles and books written about the difference between men's sports and women's sports and um, the thing that I learned right off the bat is, is girls want to be coached they want to be coached the same as boys they, they're looking for everything the boys are looking for there's no difference there there's different approaches to how to be most effective but mm-hmm. but you know it's 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 sports to them the same way it is to the boys and um, and so that was important because in my role as athletic director had I only had that boys perspective mm-hmm. um, I don't think I would have been as aware and as acutely aware of some of the hurdles and obstacles that I think women's sports girls sports at the high school level have and so um, after you start your first few years in this job are completely nuts and insane and you're just trying to understand what's going on Um, and and after I sort of settled in you know one of the things that became clear is that we had a a strong girls participation in sports in like third fourth fifth grade they all played basketball at their school and and then somewhere during the middle school years interest in participation dropped pretty significantly and we were struggling to fill freshman basketball teams Um, and uh, it was it was obvious that that we needed to figure out something to to get girls more excited and and inspired to be athletes again and um, so our numbers uh, around that time when I really started paying attention to it we, we were probably like 47 percent of our student athletes were female and about 53 percent were male which isn't bad yeah no and I and I remember talking to one of our board members who's still one of our board members and and she sort of challenged me about that and said you know I don't want to think about it as being not bad I want to think of it as being equal and Mm -hmm. and you know there's got to be some things that we can do and uh and I you know I'm up for a challenge for sure and and so you know I started really thinking about it and talking to coaches and and the same time my daughter was a, a kindergartner mm-hmm. and I remember she came home one day and we were having dinner at the table uh, and my wife is, was a three-sport athlete at Evanston and we just said hey you know what's recess like what are you doing uh, at recess and, and she sort of described how the playground was set up at kindergarten and the boys all played soccer and the girls mm-hmm. just talked and played on some of the equipment and we said why don't you ever do you, do you want to play soccer and she said the boys said girls don't play sports and we just sort of looked at each other like wait what it's you know at that time it was like 2007 or 8 or I don't know what it was Uh, no 2011 and uh, and we just kind of thought hadn't we gotten past that as a society right Um, but we haven't and um, and then again with these numbers that I was hearing uh, from our school and the stories that I was hearing from our coaches about how kids stop playing sports in middle school you know, we kind of realized, I realized that we had to do something to combat this, this, this mind shift that was taking place. Right. So, uh, so we decided to create, uh, you know, a one day festival uh, at the end of the fifth grade year for all of our fifth graders that were going to be going off to middle school, where we march in our high school athletes to their school or to the middle school that they'll be going to. We're going to bus them over with the other kids from the other schools that will be going to that middle school. It'll mm-hmm. just be this sort of like, aren't sports incredible? Aren't they great? Aren't our girls awesome? You can be one of these two sort of motivating afternoons. And yeah. we had lunch for them with our high school kids, you know, s- sitting in small groups and they, they learned 
like 10 to 12 different sports uh, that morning or that afternoon. And uh, it was really, it was awesome. That is amazing. That sounds amazing. <clears throat> and, uh, and so we were like, oh, this is great. We'll do this every year. And I don't think we realized just what that really did was that helped us realize just what the deficit was, though. Yeah. Because the response was, that was really great, but hmm. one time, right. you know, why don't you guys do something more? Can't, is there a way to have more than a five-minute introduction to badminton or water polo or lacrosse right. or all these other sports that don't really get the same level of recognition and, and um, popularity as like soccer and basketball. And so, sure. so then we then we started scratching our head and trying to figure out well what what can we do here? What can we do to, to provide more of that hands-on uh, experience? So we created these after-school clinics the next year. This idea of uh, bringing our athletes over to the the fourth and fifth grade classes mm -hmm. or students at the elementary uh, schools. So the next year we paired up two sports each month that would that would uh, go over to uh, I think at that time was six elementary schools and at the end of the day once a month those girls that wanted to fourth and fifth graders w had the opportunity to be introduced to two new sports and our girls and coaches were the ones that led the instruction um, and uh, and really taught the girls you know the basics. And, uh, and we decided to pair up two sports that were opposite seasons and that sort of complemented each other. Smart, yeah. So like basketball and lacrosse are unbelievably similar sports and most people don't realize right. that. And so we wanted more of our basketball players to realize they should get involved in lacrosse and lacrosse players to realize they should get in basketball and, and sort, of, sort of break down also the stereotypes about who is a lacrosse player and basketball player. So, so we did that with, with 12 different sports and, uh, and once a month for six months, we rolled this out to you know those six schools, and uh, originally the idea was that our coaches were going to be really the, the primary leaders mm -hmm. at those clinics. Um, and as it turned out, um, again, fortunately for us, uh, uh, an athletic director just retired from Highland Park, uh, Bobby Monroe, mm -hmm. who was sure. iconic in the world of athletic administration, uh, was athletic director of the year, and she made the unfortunate mistake of saying at our last athletic director's meeting, if anybody ever needs anything, just let me know. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I literally called her like the next day and I yeah. said, hey, would you be interested in serving as sort of our quality control person next year going to all these clinics? And by the way, we won't pay you a dime. And, right. You know, would you be interested in that? And she did it. Mm -hmm. And so she saw all these 42 clinics that we offered. And what she said was, she said, Chris, and so we, she debriefed me at the end of the year. She said, Chris, this was awesome. I'm so glad I did it but there's no way I can commute from Gurney right. to Evanston 42 times next year. Right. So the first thing is, you know, I'm not gonna be able to, to do this. She said, but here's the good news. You don't need me there. Mm -hmm. You don't need your high school coaches there. Your high school girls is all you really need to make this program effective. In fact, she said, don't take offense to this, <laughs> but your coaches are the ones that get in the way of the magic that happens when your high school girls teach those fourth and fifth grade girls. Their eyes light up, they're engaged, they're connected. Those are the role models you want them to have. Get rid of your coaches, yeah. <laughs> get rid of me, and make it be more organic between your high school kids and, and, and those kids. And yeah. from that point on, everything we've done with Girls Play Sports has been focused on trying to get our high school kids to serve as the primary facilitators for instruction and inspiration and motivation. And, and that's sort of, I think, the light bulb moment for us. Yeah, and so, 
you know, I won't bore you with every little story, but um, from the after-school clinics over the years, those have grown to now every single grade school in Evanston provides that opportunity, uh, public school. Um, and then from there, people said, oh, well, this is great, but when we get to middle school, there's really no programming for us anymore. So we created a Sunday program uh, with Girls Play Sports, uh, three sessions every month. We do the same concept of pairing two sports together, but it's more in depth, it's more instruction. Um, and so we offer you know three sessions monthly for eight months to introduce them to every single sport that we have at the high school. And then from that, they said, well, that's nice, but you know, we want to play in a badminton tournament. We want to have a water polo league. We want to, right. And so then we've created leagues and tournaments for some of the sports that just aren't available right. at the youth and feeder level. Um, so that's sort of become the feeder system for some of the other sports. And, and then we you know, obviously added a summer camp. And so every time we do something in the world of girls' sports, we realize the deficits that still exist. Right. And we have to keep filling in more and more programming. And as you can imagine, you can't do that as an athletic director. Right. I mean, no, the, no, the one-day idea, sure, that's going to be a cool new thing we mm -hmm. do, but once it becomes this entirely new program, you got to have somebody managing it. And I'm lucky enough that uh, uh, a parent and a coach at our school, Liz Brieva, mm -hmm. and my wife, who's this multiple-sport athlete, shared enough of the vision and excitement about all this that we created a nonprofit that yeah. my wife now runs and... Uh, and it's sort of taken a life of, of, on of its own. That's, I, first of all, it's amazing. Everything you're doing is amazing. I'm curious if people want to like replicate that. What does this look like operationally? How do you recruit the girls to it? Is there a sign-up sheet? Is there a club at ETHS? Um, yeah, so um, I mean, I think that that's really kind of been an, a, an important question for us the last few years mm -hmm. is as we're sort of fine-tuning and, and making this thing as, as good as we can make it, <clears throat> If other schools wanted to do this, you know, how could we how could we replicate this and expand this to other schools? And interestingly enough, um, Oak Park actually approached us this summer nice. because uh, they noticed that all of a sudden you have all these basketball players again in your program, and what happened? And, and can, can we also take the moment to note that your basketball program went from I, I maybe didn't go from, but you mentioned not being able to field a freshman team to being one of the elite programs. Well, in the state. yeah, I mean, just to clarify, we we, we couldn't we had trouble fielding two. Freshman right, teams, right, right. you know, and um, and the, so this last year, and I and I truly don't think girls play sports is as any direct connection to the success of this past season. I don't want to to sure. fool myself in that. Um, it, it, you have to have some really talented players and good coaches to make that happen. And but yes, we 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 definitely have changed the. Um, the mindset of girls to be open to coming out for basketball where before it wasn't that they didn't like basketball mm -hmm. they just thought they weren't basketball players totally. and they defined themselves by some of the failures uh, earlier in their lives and just remove themselves from that and all we're trying to do is get kids to reimagine themselves as giving that opportunity a chance at freshman year and so I don't think we're changing the elite talent level for any sports. For sure. What we're trying to do is just provide more girls with a great experience of participation. And the, the key word is participation, opportunity. That's it. Right. No one's ever made the claim that uh, girls play sports doesn't help your jump shot. It just makes sure that there's girls on the court. That you, you've broken down whatever barrier that was between right. them and further participation. I think it's huge. I also love the breadth of the vision, which is something... 
I don't know, in the Build a Good Athlete Project, in, in a lot of things that we've been involved in, so many people have like a product, right? They're, they're like, this is all you need. This will cure what ails you, sort of. Right. And I love the growth of everything that you've talked about. You, you, uh, you have an idea, you implement it, you interact, and then you reevaluate, and then you grow as necessary, fill the gaps, and then take the next step. Um, that seems like a lot, but I think the best stuff comes from constant looking and reevaluation. Through that, um, we got to bring up the hate speech protocol. That seems like a thing that maybe everyone was conscious of it in the back of their minds, but no one had gone taken the step to go ahead and do it. It's something that you saw and wanted to fix. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so that, that story really begins as a 14-year-old boy on our uh, freshman B football team at Evanston. Yeah. And uh, going, freshman, freshman B, freshman B, they missed an opportunity. No, they didn't. Okay, <laughs> they, they, they got it right on. Okay, <laughs> and luckily, you know, I, I did, I worked hard enough to sort of earn my way up to, to playing my varsity year, but uh, senior year. But yeah, my freshman year, uh, we were at a school in our conference, um, playing football uh, a Saturday morning, and uh, I had never heard the N word used in hatred. Uh, I heard it maybe in some rap songs, things like that, but I never heard it used in hatred until that day. And I remember being just shocked mm -hmm. at hearing these other kids my age say that word towards my teammates. And, and it just, it didn't, it, it, I was shocked. Yeah. What was even more shocking was how unshocked my black teammates were about hearing that word. And while it might've been the first time that I heard it, you know, it wasn't the first time they heard it. And, um, and so that really, like that just stands out in my mind uh, as, as an event that sort of had an impact on my life. And then later that same year at the same school on the freshman B, there's a theme here, basketball team, <laughs> uh, we were at that same school and, and our, my teammates just didn't take it anymore. We ended up having a fight that broke yeah. out and the game got called and, you know, no, there, there you know, there wasn't any follow-up to it. There wasn't a con uh, that I remember. There wasn't a conversation. There wasn't an athletic administration involved. It just it was, and for the next four years, you know, that was sort of a common theme at that school and other places that you heard this this hatred coming out of yeah. people's mouths based on, you know, the ignorance of of racism. And so, um, cut to later in my life, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm coaching now, and uh, and I'm going back to that same school and I'm telling my kids, you know, I, I just have this vehement, now I have this hatred towards this right. school from my experience and it's not about volleyball anymore, it's about let's kill these guys because, you know, I can't stand what they stand for and, right. and, and, and then cut to the 12 years later of my life as an athletic director and there hasn't been a year where we didn't deal with some issues sure. centered around some kid from another school using the N-word against one of our players, like every year. Um, and there's, to be clear, there's been instances and occurrences where our kids have used hate speech towards other schools. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the trying to figure it out part a day or two later when you find out as an administrator is, is horrible. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who's got the harder job, the AD of the kid who might have said it or the AD of the, of the school uh, to which it was said. Mm -hmm. Because you can never get to the truth. And everybody thinks that, um, that you're not doing enough or you're doing too much. Right. And and at the end of the day, nothing ever really gets settled because it's all he said, she said stuff. It's all hearsay. So 
um, two years ago, 2015, uh, a Tuesday, um, I get a, I have to say, special report that says that one of our players punched uh, a player from the other team in a football game. And I call up our coach and said, hey, what, you know, what's going on here? I never heard about this. What, what's the story? I need to meet with him and you and, and get to the bottom of this before you can go back to play. And comes out that, well, Chris, you know, they were calling our kids the N-word throughout the game. Mm -hmm. And I kept telling the officials and they kept saying, I never heard anything, coach. I never heard anything, coach. And finally, in like, the, I think the end of the third quarter, fourth quarter, our kid had just had enough. And yeah. he punched him in a pileup. And he was ejected, and he should have been. And a special report was filed, as it should have been. But nowhere in that special report right. was anything about the the allegations of racism that occurred throughout that game. Right. And I said, Coach, you know, if they were saying that, you know, how come you didn't tell me earlier that they were using the N-word? And he just looked at me and he said, Chris, come on, man. You know that every time we play them in football, we hear the N-word. Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, I'm getting a little more. I, I no. did know that because I grew up with it and mm -hmm. I've experienced it. And, um, and I just sort of felt useless, yeah. you know, I sort of felt helpless um, because I didn't have an answer. And over the next, I don't know, week or so, you know, I just, it just, I couldn't stop thinking about, mm -hmm. you know, in this role, you're supposed to try to make it a great experience for student athletes. And if you can't do that because they're being attacked mm -hmm. <clears throat> in uh, the field of play, like what, what good are you? And so I don't know when it was, but I sort of got a light bulb moment that, you know, the answer is really simple. Yeah. If we are here for educational athletics and our goal is to teach a bigger mission than just how to tackle and throw a football and catch a football, then isn't hate speech shouldn't that be one of the most paramount things that we think about? And shouldn't we just stop the game mm -hmm. to deal with it? Mm -hmm. And so I, I, one of my early morning sort of mind processes of just throwing stuff on paper came up with this sort of elaborate uh, hate speech protocol, how we're gonna handle things from now on if hate speech occurs. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of things that just weren't right about how it was gonna be implemented, but I was like, I don't care, I'm putting it together. And I'm gonna bring it to the right. next AD's meeting and I'm gonna fight all these people about it and right. no one's gonna like it. And, and I had this mindset of it's me against the world kind of thing. And the beautiful thing was, and I remember talking to Randy Oberumt about it the day before, yep. I believe he was the president of our league at the time. And I said, look, Randy, I'd like you to add this to the agenda. And I don't know how it's gonna to go tomorrow. And he talked me through it and he gave me some advice about how to approach it. And I have to tell you, I was, it was, it was great to see the support that we got from the table about making sure that that, that didn't happen anymore. And, um, and so from that reaction and response, we created a committee to really make the protocol be more effective and mm -hmm. realistic in how it was going to work. And, and then over the next few months, dealing with coaches and officials and just brainstorming, we came up with, you know, what turns out to be a pretty obvious no-brainer mm -hmm. approach to dealing with this type of thing when you really think about what we're trying to do. Um, but surprisingly enough, you know, still got a lot of resistance from officials and assignment chairs. Um, you still got a lot of what-if questions that you can't really answer that well. Right. But what we learned from going through it for one year now was there's never going to be a good way to stop a game and tell somebody 
you, you're homophobe, you're a racist, you're sexist, you're anti-Semitic, right? Right. That just, it doesn't, it doesn't work well. Yeah. But what it really worked well at was it created the requirements right. for coaches, that athletic directors, right. parents, students to actually have a conversation and a dialogue about uh, hate speech mm -hmm. and about what we will and will not tolerate, especially in our conference. And so I know I approach, I address that topic with our coaches at our preseason coaches meeting. We talk about it and all the volleyball coaches from the conference, the li liaison of that sport that I am, talked at our parent uh, meeting at the beginning of the year. We talked about it and no one had ever talked about it. Right. And I know that it was talked about in all the other 11 schools. And so it wasn't about dealing with it when it happens. It was about stopping it before it does. Mm -hmm. And as a deterrent, I remember the day or the Monday after playing that same school in football, mm -hmm. I said to our coaches that anybody hear anything about any of their kids being called the N-word. And it was the greatest answer in the world. It was just a simple no. And, you know, it just felt like, all right, we're, we're on to something here. And it's not going to stop it, but it is going to deter it. And we're going to have a way to deal with it. Totally. I, it, it's honest. It's inspiring. It gets me uh, going a little bit, too. And, I, and especially to hear that it's effective is, mm -hmm. is sort of the next step. You are bringing up kind of a recurring theme in so many of our conversations. And that is like people being willing to engage in conversation, right, for the sake of getting in front of issues instead of dealing with the symptoms or the, you know, mm -hmm. um, how do you deal with cause, not symptom, instead of what is the punitive response to X, Y, or Z, but how do we get in front of it? And that right. starts with having like really uncomfortable conversations. The, yeah. our, our, the last um, guy we talked to, in fact, you really, really like him. His name is Levante Stewart. He directs the Lost Boys on the South Side of Chicago. And okay. they, he, um, yeah, he, and he's great. He's fantastic. He does something so he brings people in through baseball mm -hmm. uh, and then does other things while they're there. But one of the things he does, like you're saying, he, he makes sure that baseball and softball are options for people moving down the road. Mm -hmm. he, he, he is a fan of what he calls just the raw conversation. Mm -hmm. He's like, it's the one no one's willing to have. And it's the reason that, that issues uh, maintain over a course of years. People are loyal to themselves and their families and, and their immediate friends and we're not breaking this thing open and having the really raw, right. difficult conversation often enough. Right. Uh, instead, we're like, we're, we're just dealing on the, you know, get people in trouble with the loss and kick people out of school, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And, um, and yeah, I mean, our, our district engaged in some equity work uh, many years ago uh, with the Pacific Education Group and was really focused on developing and learning how to have courageous conversations. And uh, honestly, as, as, as much as I pride myself in um, being an Evanstonian that loves diversity and so forth, if I didn't have the background and experience to learn how to, to just cut through and, and mm -hmm. like you said, break things open to have those conversations through that work, you know, um, I think that was really helpful to me was, was learning how to have some of those tools as well. Because if you're not having courageous conversations, you're just maintaining, and as I said before, right. I don't. Well, that's the least favorite part of my job. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's perfect, and that's kind of full circle, Chris. That's amazing. Um, I'm inspired by what you do. I don't even know if I realize the entire scope of it, um, but it's really incredible stuff. For sake of getting to know more about you as uh, an individual outside of the profession, I think Coach Nadalma has one or two very quick questions, and they're going to have to be quick. Uh, favorite book or movie unrelated to your field? 
favorite book or movie? You know, you can give us one of each too. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of a nerd. I think one of my favorite books growing up was The Hobbit. Okay. <laughs> and so, you know, you said unrelated to my field. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was uh, that, that, and then movie. You know, I, I'll stick to the childhood days. I'll say Star Wars. Which one? Yo, you got to go with the original. Okay, fair. <laughs> um, all right, uh, first concert you ever went to? I've only been to three concerts in my entire life. What? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm not a, a concert guy, but it's Tribe Called Quest freshman year at that's Miami, good. Ohio. That's definitely the coolest answer we've ever had. No offense <laughs> to anybody else that's been on the podcast so far, but uh, great. Yeah, love it. Okay, perfect. That's it. Thanks. Excellent. Well, thank you for being here. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. This week's episode is brought to you by Remind Recover. Remind Recover is a supplement that helps athletes support brain health. Similar to how you drink a protein shake to help your muscles recover after a workout, Remind Recover has been scientifically formulated to give you the nutritional building blocks to help support healthy brain function. I am a huge fan of Remind Recover. It is as close to the science as any supplement I've seen, and feel free to check out their website for more. It's remindrecover.com. And when you go there, if you want to place an order, and I recommend it, use the code GOODATHLETE for a discount on checkout.